0: How you doing, John? I haven't seen much of you recently.
1: You miss me. <laughs> it, it's quiet here without you. What, are you saying I'm loud? No. It's just, I'm the party animal of the group? Yeah. Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> You're the party animal.
1: Yeah. No, I'm feeling good today, man. I have energy today. Surprisingly. It, I, uh, at least one of us does. I made it a point to get a little bit of extra sleep this morning before I started my day and so that means you slept in. I slept in yeah <laughs> I actually I actually skipped a gym appointment to sleep in Uh-oh. but uh it was worth it because I was really tired and I really needed i I didn't want I didn't want to do another show where I was kind of a little I felt like last week I was a little off yeah I just wasn't at my best it wasn't wasn't on my game uh, off your game <laughs> I was off my game so I was like you know I you know every, we've been starting the show off lately with me kind of griping about how tired I am and everything I'm like, you know what I'm going to make that different this time.
0: I'm going to get some sleep. You're also you're also still in shock from your MVP thing. By the way, you know, I didn't ask you. Did you know you were nominated? You probably knew you were nominated, I guess, right?
1: Yeah, Shell Shel, Shel nominated me. Okay. And I think there was a few others involved in the process that, that knew me um, or know me. And um, I didn't even get a chance to even thank everyone. I was just kind of out of it. I didn't get a chance to say a proper thank you or, <laughs> hey, I'm really excited. This is awesome. Thank you, everyone. I was just kind of. Still soaking it in. Like I said, I wasn't at my best. Uh, I don't know what else to say about it. But yeah. Yeah. So Shell nominated me. He had nominated me a year ago before a year or two two years ago. When I was just doing my blog and I was pretty active in the community, but it just wasn't enough. And so he wanted to try it again and um you know, I think I think the podcast helped. I think we t- we said that a little bit last time that the podcast probably had a lot to do with so. it. Yeah. Would at, least, cool at least it it, it 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 it's put me out there. A little more people know who you and I are, both. Right. In general, um, so yeah. But I enjoy doing it. Well, don't forget to thank
0: um, the academy, um, the Jesus academy. Christ, your parents. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, the coffee. Uh, who, who do I thank? Uh, Keurig Unf- for for the the numerous amounts of coffee I drank to st- to, to, to to just be. Able to prepare for the podcast or write for a blog or anything. I need to yeah. cue up
0: some orchestra music so I can shuffle you off stage. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, oh, good times. Anyway.
0: Hey, I have a question for you to get kind of started here. Um, I had a, some something come up, kind of like a production support thing where I was, you know, someone asked me, hey, why is this thing not doing this? And so I wanted to check on it. And... I really don't leave debug statements in production. No, yeah. Um generally speaking, and this was a case where I wish it would have been I wish that code was in, well instrumented with debug statements. Um because I really didn't have that much of an ability to debug this. And so my options were adding some debug statements and deploying that in production, which is a which is a big it's a big org Right. So that would have been a time consuming and kind of risky thing to do. I mean, any, any org that's big like that, any, any deployment is risky. Yeah. Um, and I didn't want to, I would also have, would have to like gone, gone outside of our normal development and deployment and cycle, I guess. I guess I could have considered it like a production hotfix. And, you know, all the things associated with that. So, you know, checking out master, you know, creating a hotfix branch, committing, you know, creating my debug statements, committing that in, eventually merging that back into, into main and to the dev branches and then deploying that, you know. So it's like, yeah, I don't, I'm not sure I want to do that. Yeah. But then I was thinking to myself, you know, maybe I should, you know, leave debug statements in production because you can, with debug statements, you, you know, if you do it, if you do them right, you can meaning, it, it, and it's they're actually, there, and you can troubleshoot. They're there, right? What? And what I guess what I meant was, you know, you can you can have different levels of severity levels of of debug statements, right? Because one of the problems you'll run into is if if you do everything at debug, then you end up with log files that are so big that you know Salesforce has a severe limitation on how much you can actually log. So right. I maybe mean, one transaction you could you could actually not even mm-hmm. get to your debug statement because the log hit its max before it gets there.
1: It just starts truncating so it.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just says hey, your you log hit 2 megabytes, you're you're done.
1: Actually, I think it truncates the first part <clears throat> of it. Doesn't it keep the last last part you know, of it? No,
0: it's the opposite. It just stops. Mm. It just stops logging. Which is a rant for another day, but um got me thinking, you know, maybe I should uh, you know, the thing is you have to be able to predict how you're going to want to? How you're going to need to debug something?
1: A lot of cases. You in know, terms of just when to use those, I, what what should I log? I mean, you're talking about building a log system, right? Just well, using the log. I mean, there's a log system there. I'm
0: talking about how do you how do you instrument your production code mm-hmm. so that when you need logs, you can get them. That yeah. that that means you have to know what you want. What you might want to see in order to. In order
1: to debug something that's in production, or to find out what's happening with something in production. So you've gone from trying to remove all your debug statements to now thinking about strategically where to place them. Yeah. Um. So I mean, what are the? I mean, the the advantages, I I guess, are pretty obvious. You know, you
0: can hopefully get some insight into what's happening in production when things aren't going the way you expect them to.
1: Right.
0: You know, the downsides are your production code, which we already have the problem in, sales, in Salesforce development, for, or is it force.com development, or is it Salesforce One development? What are we, what are we calling it today? Or is it the development cloud development?
1: Let's go Salesforce
0: One. Salesforce One development. Okay. We already have the problem in Salesforce One development where, um, where you, you only have one kind of global namespace for all of your classes. So you try not to create more classes than you absolutely have to, which means your classes tend to be, tend to be longer than they would right. in most other languages, right? Now you're making those classes even longer. If you're if you've got debug statements all throughout your code, that's one problem. Another problem is regardless it has nothing to do with the the language here. It's just you're just mixing you're mixing a different concern in with your product with your business logic. It's like you've got you know maybe nice looking code it ex- you know well expressed business logic, and now you have all these debug statements everywhere, which makes the co- makes the code hard to read, hard to follow, just makes it ugly. And it creates a lot of noise. It's like code that's over commented It's like it's so much noise. It's right. hard to read the code.
1: Yeah, it's a balance. It's an art, and just like commenting is an art. I mean, when naming a, things is an art. Knowing how to you know break up your code is an art. And it's a, it's a little bit of having a crystal ball too. Because again,
0: like I said, you have to know what might you want to see. What? Uh, how do you instrument this code? What are you? What are you logging? What should you log?
1: Yeah, yeah it's, it's kind of deciding, well, what information do you think is going to be valuable if I had to troubleshoot this? Exactly. And so that's hard in and of itself, right? Yeah. I mean, the system does provide you with quite a bit of information when you get a, an exception thrown. And you, you, have, you, have, you know which method you started in, what method it, it exited, so you have some context and if your methods are small enough, you at least have a more granular view into where that error occurred because of that. But if you're dealing with monolithic methods, then then you tend to lean towards more debug statements because of that. Yeah. And in this case, there
0: were not even any exceptions thrown. It was just you know, the the application wasn't behaving in a way that we thought it should.
1: That's what you to test are for.
0: Um true. That's that's actually very true. Um, In this case, though, we, (laughs) I guess we could have set up an additional test, but in this case, we're just trying to figure out what is what in production. I mean, is it working the way it's supposed to? That was one of the things that we were just trying to verify. Like, maybe this is what it's supposed to do.
1: Yeah, I mean, debugging is difficult, and I I use those debugs quite a bit before I deploy. Once it goes into production, I've removed a good portion of them. I'll maybe leave a few in some critical areas that you know show what kind of value, a very piece, critical piece of value I need to, to know about. I'll, I'll stick that in the debug sometimes. But for the most part, I'll be debug-heavy you know, log-wise when I'm developing something and trying to figure out and make sure everything's working the way it's supposed to, especially with complex logic. Then I'll start to pull them out just because I don't want them in there. Before, it was a script limit. Um, issue. That's why I pulled it. So one of my questions: Do debug statements count against? Limits? They shouldn't. No, because every it'll count against your CPU time if if for some reason that's taken a certain amount of time. But it's yeah. no longer an issue with script statements.
0: So I guess that's another downside: is it's going to you know we have this platform that limits not not scales. So any adding debug statements is going to add to the limits. Now, if you unless you have a what are the, what's it called when you have when you set up. Salesforce to actually log your debug statements. What's that called? That's just creating a, you know, when you go in and well, whether you, so let's say you open the developer console, mm-hmm. that creates a a debug log. It's just a, yeah, it's, it's like a logging session or something. Yeah. If there's not if there's not a logging, I'm just going to call it that because I don't know what. It, if there's not a logging session active, then those debug statements probably have very minimal impact on CPU time because they become no ops. Nothing's getting logged ever. In that Ideally, case. right? Yeah, yeah. Um and then also you know tuning your debug statements so knowing when to use you know error versus warn versus debug versus info right right
1: yeah because then then you can use the the tooling to say you know what I want to to see in my log right versus everything just being debug
0: cuz right cuz if you well in debug are probably that's probably the most common one right because you're you're just dumping all kinds of information all the time in order to help someone debug right so Let's say you do create a log because you want to you know you wanna see if there's anything that's bad that's happening. You might just create you might just set your log level to warn, right? I only want to see warn and worse. So if you if you're smart about how you're using those levels, then you still could probably you still you know be okay CPU time wise and also get a get what you need within the two megabyte limit that you have. Yeah. This is always a challenge. That 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 log limit is a real burner for me. Yeah.
1: Can we talk about pet peeves with Debug Log for a minute? Yeah. <laughs> Since you brought sure. it up. It, uh, I'll just start by saying, you know, if, if you're going to deploy something to production, go in and clean up your debugs. Just like you would commenting, go and clean up your comments, go and clean up your debugs, clean up your code. It's kind of like you build something and you have to clean up the mess afterwards. You know, all the, say you built a table and you have to go in and clean up all the sawdust and everything and pick up all the loose nails and pieces and sweep them away and clean it up. And then it's ready to to show off, right? I think that same methodology needs to be applied to our code. Is that at some point, right before we go to production, we need to do some cleanup? You know, go in and make sure all the commenting makes sense. Remove any comment that's erroneous or, you know, doesn't need to be there because your code is descriptive enough. Um, Same thing with debugs. If it's not going to add value, remove that. But in terms of pet peeves, what I really hate is when people kind of put all these like tons of dashes and things because they're they're trying to create a. I know what they're doing. They're saying they're trying to be able to find they're entering the log really quickly cuz the log gets so big and so long they they'll put in like dash 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 my debug log dash 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 and then another debug statement of the actual value they want to do and they'll do that to try and find it sure but to me I'm just I know what method it's in my methods are small enough I know I can just search for that method and then see where my debug is
0: well only if you're logging system code at a, at a fine level will it will it log
1: every method entry and exit true but at that point, I'm I'm heavy in debug, and I want that level. I'm not... Yeah. If, it's, if there's an error in production, what I try to do is, I'm not troubleshooting in production unless I have to. Uh, usually you want it, something replicatable, so I'll usually try to replicate it in the sandbox environment with a unit test. If you have the
0: data that's needed for that, that's the other...
1: Big... Well, I mean, ideally, with test-driven development, what you really want to do is, you know, set up a test that fails. Well, no one does
0: test-driven development on Salesforce. You basically can't. You can do... You, not test-driven.
1: Not test-driven, but I not mean... Not test-first. Part of the process of test-driven is that after your code's in production, if you come across a bug, you should be able to replicate that bug in your code base and sand, in your sandbox environment, meaning you can write a test that illustrates that failure. You fix right. your code, run your test, and it should work. Yeah. And that's still considered test-driven development. I disagree. What would you consider that? debugging no, in development? And, and I'm not a TDD guy, but I will tell you what the TDD people would tell you.
0: TDD is a design technique it's that's what you you that's what you use to help you design your production code. The very first thing you do is write a test. The test, you know, and you compile the test. The test fails to compile because it's not production code. So you write just enough production code so the test compiles. Then you run the test and the test fails because the production code doesn't do what it's supposed to. So you get a, you get the red bar, right? Mm-hmm. Then you go do the simplest implementation in your production code that gets the test to pass. You check the test pass. You get a green bar and then you refactor your production code to to you know, extract methods or whatever you need to do. To, you know, to have nice code, right. and then you you keep running your tests. But you're let, you're always letting your t- you write a test first, and then you let that test, dic- you know, kind of dictate, I guess, how you're designing your production code.
1: Yeah, and I, it's a design, I, I agree with it, that. But exalted, I still think you know, that, that that methodology, that pattern, carries over even into debugging existing applications. You you have your test methods. You ha- you've now identified a bug, a scenario that you didn't think about previously. Right. So you code for that scenario. You should get a failure because you're reproducing the behavior, and then you should be able to go into your code, fix it, rerun your test, and see that it passes. True, sure. yeah. And that's a, good,
0: that's a good technique, and that is uh, something I think that's reasonable to do on the yeah. Salesforce One platform.
1: Yeah. But knowing, knowing that you're going to do that should, should hopefully—it's it, it, it's an art. It's an art of balancing. Do you, when you first design your code, build 10,000 unit test methods to test every scenario? Or do you test for the ma- major functionality? As bugs come up, you start adding to the unit test. Yeah,
0: I mean, you can get um, code coverage. That's one aspect. But then there's, and there's a, there's a word for this, that basically exercises the, all the ranges of inputs into all of your methods and everything. Because usually you can get coverage with, you can get full c- test coverage simply by providing like a, for example, let's say you have one method in your entire org, right? Mm-hmm. And you can get full coverage just by writing a test that executes that method. Mm -hmm. let's say that method takes an integer right you can write one one uh, test that passes you know the number one into that right right but that didn't exercise the full range of that test class so like in the Java world there's a thing I think it's called Jester and it basically takes all of your test code and and uh, and and calls those tests was that me oh that was you huh yeah you just got clicked because you forgot to go into into, uh, (laughs) do not disturb it's on do not (laughs) disturb but still (laughs) Yeah, you have certain people who have access to bust through. We'll, we'll talk about the clicks here in a bit. Well, <laughs> no, the, yeah, the Jester thing is cool because it it looks at all your your test code and it it modifies it and and when it uh, co- when it's calling your production code, it it changes the values, it exercises like a the fu- a fuller range, all these different passes, all kinds of different things into it to see what happens to make sure your code still behaves the way it's supposed to. That's a, and that's a completely separate dimension to kind of yeah. thinking about test coverage.
1: Yeah. Well, we turned debugging into unit testing, didn't we? Yeah, we did.
0: <laughs> <clears throat> um, so I uh, saw something interesting, which is that and I'm not sure where I saw it oh, I think this was I think um, what's his name Anil, Anil Bussery, uh, which is one of the work day you know, the CEO or president or something, but they had he was, was at a uh, conference and, and made the, I guess admission or announcement that simply updating your LinkedIn profile. If your if your employer uses Workday, simply mm-hmm. updating your LinkedIn profile triggers your record in your employee's Workday that you may be uh, you, you may be leaving the company soon.
1: Why would it make that assumption? Is it is it certain changes? Or no, ju- change? just an
0: update to your. If you g- just update your profile, that increases. They, there's a, they have a score they track you on that's like a, how likely you are to. Um, they call it a re- like a retention, right? Mm-hmm. You're going to have you know lower retention rating if you do th- things like updating your LinkedIn profile.
1: That's interesting because what LinkedIn is one of the third top social networks out there, isn't it? You have Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Yeah, collectively. But, but usually, when people
0: update their LinkedIn profile, it's because they're looking for a job.
1: That 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 is the. <laughs> prevailing wind, yeah, but i mean right. there are people who go up there and update their skills there are people who are active in it and you know share blog posts and all those kind of things and they're networking does, does me connecting with you trigger an event that says hey this guy might be looking or not that is it just not, the fact that you're active which no. means you're more visible to potential employers I will, I
0: will say this again updating your profile is what triggers workday to think to you know, decrease your retention. And updating
1: data. a skill or something does count as it, updating a profile. Well,
0: I, I don't, I don't know if it counts. I don't know if workday counts that or not, hmm. but anyway, I just think the whole thing's kind of, is not doesn't that, is that bordering on kind of creepy? But we also talked about a while, this goes a while back, how workday, um, what was, what were they doing? Tracking, I don't know if it was like your social media or something, but, but they, it, basically your employers just using all this, um, no, it was using like big data and analytics and stuff mm-hmm. to get insight into whether, you know, whether it's likely that people are, you know, gonna quit or
1: whether they're abusing their their sick time or whatever, all this it, it's, weird stuff. It's all information that's out there publicly I mean, published by you, the individual. I, I don't see any wrong in them you, using information that's freely available. I, it's not yeah, I'm not saying it's this is like illegal or anything. I just think that the fact that, you know, your employer's running is data mining you. Yeah, it's, it's kind of weird. It's creepy, but we all kind of know and learn from lessons from other people that, you know, if, if in your career, you do kind of have to be careful what you put out there in the public and yeah. how you act. And, yeah. I mean, it's just. yep. I mean, even, even like private information that your employer has on
0: you, that they track on you, whether, you know, you're when you come into work, what days you take off. I mean, all of these different things. They're just they're using that is all going into like into a analytics of you.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Which is just weird. Well, I don't like it from the standpoint that it, it further removes management from people, which has been steadily growing over the years with you're you're just a number, you're an employee, you're you're measured by how many hours you clocked in or, or things like that. It, it's in lieu of actual quality human management. Yeah. So space. I don't like it from that standpoint. But I mean the fact that they're able to data mine the information and and maybe make some you know, maybe raise some flags or something, I, I think is valuable. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Um it is a little creepy. Yeah. But it's it's information that's out there publicly.
0: Yeah, but uh, well, you keep saying that, but it's also the private information they're track they're keeping on you. It's probably a combination of all kinds of things, private data they have on you, plus public data that you're putting out there or whatever.
1: Yeah, but you've knowingly give them access to that private data. It's not like they're hacking your Twitter account and because it's completely private or your private Facebook page and they're hacking. Well, it. Well, it's really their data. It's private data they're generating about you. Well, yeah, it's I mean it's their yeah. data, but.
0: So I'm still working on this Communities project, which Communities is always interesting. Um, In this project, it's completely custom. So we're not using, you know, with Communities, you can either do the, what's it called, sites.com, or is that what it is? I always confuse that with sites. Whatever the Salesforce-powered, like, CMS system is, which I've never used. I mean, I've looked at it, but it's... Might be it never doc, seems like the right thing to do. It might be the .com, the sites.com. Is it site? Yeah. I think. Mm. Salesforce branding. So you can so you can do either the sites.com or you can do kind of like the standard Salesforce tabbed. You know, the Salesforce mm-hmm. tabs, right? You can expose that and you can do a custom HTML header and footer with that. Right. Or you can do just completely custom Visual Force, And that's what we're doing in this case. Um, which is actually the... So much better. It's like the for me. It's like the best way to go, unless you have a really simple community. Um, and I've done the tabs in the past and tried to really customize that, and it just it got to be such a mess. Those like the tabs and some aspects of like the what's that the global the global black header that you get in community when you enable communities. That, those things are all rendered like literally in separate windows and iframes and stuff, and just having control of stuff becomes a mess, and was end up end up having to like. Uh, inject JavaScript into the HTML header in order to control other parts of the page because mm. you're using you're kind of in Salesforce tabland here, and so you can't you can't put your there's no place to hook in your JavaScript into that or right or whatever. Yeah. So going totally custom Visual Force pages is really nice. It's just it solves a lot of problems, but just, yeah, because you're looking for an entirely branded solution. It's not even the branding as much as it's um uh, yeah I guess just full control over yeah. the over the the markup, the styling, everything.
1: Yeah, um, I mean, if you just want, if you just wanted to stand up a basic community and, and get it up and running in a couple of days, then community tabs is is probably your way to go. But if you want like to control the experience and you know, all that kind of stuff, you're definitely looking at custom. One of the one of the biggest problems that I ran into when I was doing the tabs with custom header and footer
0: is mm-hmm. so I was using in the in the custom header, I was bringing in some things from a static resource right maybe maybe it was css and javascript images probably probably all of those things and putting that loading that in via the header was my way to get it on every page of the community right even even pages that the the main content of the page were things i didn't have access to maybe it was like a some you know standard salesforce tab or something um and the problem you have with that you can do that but because it's just an HTML, the header is just an HTML file. It's not a Visualforce page. Mm-hmm. You can't use the the Visualforce syntax to, to reference a static resource. And so the problem is you can't. Uh, when when you do use that Visualforce syntax for a uh, static resource, it automatically creates like a cache busting URL. And every time that static resource changes, it I kind of it, that will gener- that will result in a new URL that your that you use that points to the, the, that latest copy of the static resource that's not referring to an older version. Because as soon as you do a static resource, right, that gets pushed out to CDNs and stuff. Right. Yeah, I know what you're right. saying. And so I had ins- to have a build step that anytime anything changed, I regenerated that HTML and I created my own cache-busting URL. <laughs> so anytime anything that, re- that, that built into the static resource changed, right, mm-hmm. it had to, man- it, through this build process, would update that HTML header. So... It can be done, but it's a it's a total pain. But no, what I've what I realized here is so I've I'm creating you know I've created custom login pages, custom logout pages, custom password reset. You know everything's everything's custom. Um, what i one thing I learned is that there's no way when they, when you log someone in, there's there's a method call that you call. I think it's on the site class or something, um, and you you it's called login, and you oh, pass the username, yeah. password, and then a an optional URL re- redirect. There's no, there's no option for the remember me thing. I'm trying to find out, like, how do I, how do I give users this option to remember me? Remember them how? However, Salesforce does. So when you log into Salesforce,
1: you have the option, like, remember me or not. Like, remember keep basically kind of keep. I guess it's like to keep me logged in or. Well, that's not really. That's still based on session. The remember me is usually remember my username. Which is based on cookies, right? Yeah. Yeah. They're just. And that, most sites, at least that's the way they treat the remember me is it'll you, at least remember your username. Who you are. Yeah. You know? And then if there's an active session, it'll it'll load that session. Otherwise it it it'll, it'll ask you to log yeah. in again. And and actually at this point,
0: I don't know whether it is remembering people automatically or it's not. It's one or the other, but I have but you have if you if you use a custom visual force page for logging in, you just don't have that option. Like okay. you, don't, you don't have control of that. The worst thing is, is there's no way to log people out. There's no site.logout. out. And I googled around. I looked on the Stack Exchange. There's just, there's no way to log people out.
1: Hmm.
0: Interesting. Uh, no supported way. Well, um, what I'm what I ended up doing was I forward. There's a URL. It's like slash secure slash logout something like that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I'm I'm just forwarding the user to that, and hoping that that does what it's supposed to do. I mean, it does, but it's un, it's unpublished. It's unsupported. You know, you're not supposed to you're not supposed to do those things. Right. It's not a supported URL. Um, but as far as I know, that's the only way to log people out. So it's almost like, to me, a big security problem with communities. Maybe I will log, log that as a bug. Yeah, that see should what be a say. bug
1: or an idea or something. I mean, I've been logging like not <laughs> on average. If it's not, a, if they come back and say it's not a bug, definitely post it as an idea because that seems yeah. like something we'd want to have. Exactly. I know
0: a lot of people do are doing communities nowadays, so maybe someone will uh, has an idea on how to do that, or can tell me what they've done in the past. Yeah. All right. We have news. News. Um, Sh- Shell sent us in some terrible, another example of terrible journalism. And um, hang on. Any monkey with, with a set of lipstick on their pig lips can write it for Forbes. <laughs> it's a Forbes article. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, and this is, this is a new article. And the title is, you know, Is Salesforce for Sale? And I think shell count, it's, it's basically 10 sentences. And there's just, there is no content here whatsoever.
1: A new article? Yeah. Maybe they just want to bump the stock price a bit. I know. <laughs> like, that was fun. Let's do that again. <laughs> well, if you look at, if you look at Forbes, um, VentureBeat,
0: TechCrunch, Salesforce can get the, any of those publications to write basically whatever they want. I mean, anytime Salesforce wants an article, it's just send them basically what you want, the copy you want, send them a press release, and it's going to happen. I don't, you know, so I don't. I don't, that doesn't look like what this is though. This is not like press release stuff. It's just saying, you know, it's, it's been the rumor for months that Salesforce is for sale. Um, so fortune asked three people and these people, all of them said, well, I don't know. I don't know. It depends on Mark. You have to ask Mark or I have no idea. And, and then the last one says the panel declined to comment on whether Twitter was for sale. Another recent rumor, period. End of article. It's like wow. Yeah. Wow. This Quality is this passes for journalism. I mean, this this needs to take up a page on the internet. <laughs> I want my page back. <laughs> oh, that's that's one less URL that can be taken.
1: Yeah. Yes, I know. One million volunteer hours. Yeah, saw did this. you see that? Uh, yes, I did. I try to, to do how, some how could some, you not
0: again this is one of those things where salesforce you know pr machine is in full effect and there' you know there's a thousand articles out there about this
1: yeah they've
0: been using medium a lot i was gonna ask about that what is up with the medium account
1: well and medium is the new thing right now I, it's cool it's medium oh it's on medium it, it i remember when it first came out and it, you had to like sign up and you have to get like invited to it and now it's like like anyone can get on it and start writing but
0: it, it's kind of like uh when you're when you're when you're a kid and you're one of your parents shows up at like the party you're at with wearing cool trying to wear cool clothes and like they're gonna come hang out for a while.
1: That's Salesforce posting on medium. <laughs> <laughs> medium in general, I think, is just I don't know. I don't know how do I, how I feel about medium in general. It's it's, yeah. it's it's kinda meant to be like this place where you can tell engaging stories. Like, like if you wanna be involved socially it's like a Twitter, but for telling Almost stories. Almost like a Tumblr, right? It's yeah, like a new, yeah, exactly. a more modern. T-
0: I do like the interface. I mean, the what their themes. I guess people can choose from. Seem to be really clean and readable. But it yeah. started out as an as a kind of an elite thing, right? It was only you know they they handpicked people to write on Medium, but now I yeah. guess anyone can get. Yeah. But it has that. It still has that twinge of, they were trying to be
1: elite or something. I, I think for companies like Salesforce, it might make sense. But personally, I think if you're Blogging, you're trying to build a brand out of your content, you know, why not host your own site? There are plenty of things that can host your own site. You can get, you know, in depth feedback on that. I guess if it's, I don't know how the curation works on this and how you, if if it helps you get more views at all or anything like that. So you have to go to where the cool kids are, John. I don't know. I I mean, I like my blog. I I prefer (laughs) having my own URL and everything. But I do have have a medium account. Does Salesforce not have enough of their own blogs? They could have put this on. I I think for Salesforce, just a matter of being there. That's what I'm saying. They got to be where the cool kids are. Yeah. Anyways, the so that's where they published their their Salesforce hits one million volunteer hours article. Uh, had some interesting stuff. They, I tried to do some calculations. It turns out I did them wrong. But I'll talk about their calculations. They calculated. Turns out math, done, math is hard. They've done. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> my 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 decimal point was in the wrong spot. <laughs> and Jeremy's looking me like I'm a child. Didn't didn't do my math homework. Hey, you right. were only off by an order of magnitude, John. One decimal point. I know. <laughs> <laughs> my, my, I do that with my daughter. I'm grading her math, and, and she'll go, well, it's was only off by one number. I'm like, it's still wrong. Being off by one or point .1 doesn't make a difference. It's wrong. So I guess I got to take my own medicine. Anyways, they, they calculated it, that they've done 114 years of nonstop volunteering. So if they took that million dollars or million, million hours of volunteer time, that, that, that if you divide that by 365 days and 20, 24-7 that's 114 years of volunteer time.
0: Yeah, if it was one, it was one person, how that, long would it take them? That's right? Yeah, Okay. and
1: that's what we talked about. When, when I did my math and you were trying to help me do some math and we're trying to create, come, some, come up some creative numbers, it turns out it's really hard because um, we don't have all the information we need to be able to make some accurate numbers. We don't know how many employees there were year over year since they started, so we can only kind of assume or average. They're up to 16,000 now, I think is the prevailing number. Last year it was around no. fourteen thousand employees. Yeah. yeah,
0: does it? What does the Google say about that? How many? I think it says sixteen thousand. Does
1: Salesforce have? Should be. There's, there's no good answer. So, anyways, I we, oh we uh,
0: can, For, Forbes says sixteen thousand. Yeah.
1: there's another article somewhere. It might still be Forbes that um, also says sixteen. Business Insider, I think. Yeah. Anyways, they break out some of the numbers. Interestingly, they they show six hundred thousand of that was hands on volunteering. I'm assuming going to an event and volunteering and building bikes at Dreamforce or, or something along those lines. Mm. Pro bono, I'm not sure what that means. Free work, free Just work. doing work for free. Just for, okay. So that was one hundred sixty six thousand. Like maybe like some
0: like Salesforce developers doing um, working with a nonprofit who runs Salesforce, writing some code for
1: them and stuff. Yeah. Uh, mentoring and coaching one hundred thirty one thousand. Uh, Walk, run, ride, swim. So I'm assuming that's participating in, you know, some kind of event, you know, charity event where you walk, run, and for donations, those kind of things. That was 52,000. Board service, uh, that was 40,000. Not sure what that means. Serving on companies' board, like nonprofits' boards, I guess. Directors? Maybe. Yeah. That's a good one. And then other was just at 11,000. And they said 100, this this is made up out of 72 countries that this volunteering occurred in. And Eleven thousand nonprofit organizations volunteered.
0: So, I guess if you're coding for a nonprofit and you're you happen to be like flying over Luxembourg, you can say, "Oh, we did, we did charity in Luxembourg."
1: <laughs> all right I mean, we're on a train, you know, crossing through. <laughs> so, I was trying to calculate the numbers because I wanted to see how that reflected on the one 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 model. Well, and so what we what we figured out is that you
0: really can't. There's just not enough. There's not enough information here to know anything, really. To,
1: but anyway. So, what I, are, I did come up with the number. Did, of, we, did we figure anything out? I came up with a number of thirty-three percent, which was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> right, but if you t- even even the three percent, I think didn't make sense because my decimal point is in the wrong spot. So it's actually three percent, the number I came up, and but that was based on how many day, how many work days are between when Salesforce started, and I just took one one nineteen ninety nine because I don't know the actual day and month they started to today, and that gave me a number, and then I multiplied that by an eight hour workday, and that gave me a number, and then I did the math against the million hours on that, and that's how I got to three point three percent. But that only assumes one person doing that full time. Yeah. What? Don't. And one thing that
0: we, we could say for sure. So if they have sixteen thousand employees right now, one percent is three hundred thirty thousand hours. Right. I get ticked hey, for that. Yeah, Thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll, I'll take that off. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> I'll take it. Oh, uh, I don't want our standards to be too high because then I feel like I have to sit here <laughs> like a robot. Um. Yeah, so there would be thirty three hundred thirty thousand hours is what they'd have to do is what they have to do this year to do one percent. So the fact that that's a full third of a million hours, th- we were trying to figure out. Well, does that mean that the Salesforce is kind of behind, right? But then, you know, there's some you have, you'd have to know how many employees they had like yeah. every day and do some kind of weird calculus on that to figure out. So, you know, we're just trying to figure out like what that means or what the percentage is. You know, did they did they overdo it? Did they underdo it? Yeah,
1: are they but, ahead? Could they take a break now? And here's the
0: other thing I want to know, like. What are they using, Harvest or something? to? Tr- is everyone logging their time
1: on exactly what they're doing? And how do they, how do they track it? I think this? so. Most companies, when they have this type of program, um, there's a place where you can go in and log time. I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure And they you do. can log in your volunteer hours and that that gets counted. Yeah, I know how too. that works. Yep. I spent it's Workday. <laughs> yeah. You can do it in Workday,
0: <laughs> yeah, I bet. That's true. <laughs> I wonder if Salesforce, I, bet, I think Salesforce is a Workday user, aren't they? I think so. I think they yeah. are. I thought I read that the other day. So, yeah, well, congratulations, Salesforce, on. Swimming and running and coding
1: and their way to a million and, volunteer yeah. hours. Interesting. Um, they did they did the breakdown in one of the graphics for the one 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 model. One one one. I don't know if I can say one one one. Sounds so weird now. Um, so they broke out the one percent product into twenty five thousand customers. They broke out the one percent equity into eighty five million grants. So that tells you that's where the Salesforce Foundation is is doing, and then the one percent of time, one million volunteer hours. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, that'll be in the show notes if you guys haven't seen that article.
0: They also listed the the charities that like the top ten charities they contributed these hours to. Right?
1: Um, did they list the top ten? Or no, that was the. I think they also made a. They did a. 10. They had by sector, so okay. they did like the industry. So, mm. the, uh, environment, health, human services, international youth, all those kind of things. They broke out the top, I guess, ten or fifteen of those. Yeah. I already feel like we're behind, man. We have a lot to get through. There's a lot of just random, we have a lot of... Yeah, there's, there's a lot on here that's just news that I'll just spout out because okay. it is what it is. But while we're on the subject of volunteering, yes. charity, we have a, we have a new gadget oh, yeah. in the studio today. Our, our clickers. We have clickers now. Are these counters? What are they called? Click counters? Um, they're called tally. Everybody knows what these things are. You push a button
0: and it and Yeah, increments. you push a button
1: and it clicks a number. I got these for us because Jeremy was right. Going back and listening to every episode and trying to figure out who messed up and when is very time-consuming. Sorry, what was that you said? Jeremy is is what? Jeremy was not wrong in this particular instance. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying not to give you a clip of me saying you are right.
0: You know what? I've already got it.
1: so I already said it. Um, So what I came up with is, okay, well, rather than have a piece of paper here or try to do it on our our computer, it would be really cool just to Click one of those clickers. Well, that's because I've been saying
0: we've just got to do it as we go. There's yeah. no way you can go back. That's that, plus. I just think that takes the that's getting giving someone that much work takes the fun out of it. It's supposed to be fun and yeah. you know kind of a, just a way for us to.
1: And plus, now that I have this real time data, these real time clickers, what I'll do is in the show notes, I'll we'll, at the very end of the show notes, I'll just tally what we had for that episode, so you'll be able to see you know what our ticks were for that episode, and I'll be keeping track of that, and maybe we'll get swear jar to to trend. Hashtag swear jar. (laughs) Yeah, the good day sir swear jar. (laughs)
0: There you go.
1: Let's go global with the swear jar. (laughs) All right, John, we need to do. We need to do some lightning rounds here on these lightning rounds. Office three sixty five for Mac is released. I'm very excited. I'm happy with the new interface. Do so. Are you a user of that or? Um. So, Office three sixty five is both an online version. Lightning. (laughs) That's our lightning round. (laughs) I'm taking you for interrupting me. Oh, I know. Dang it. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's it's released for the Mac now. So the 365 is two things. It's the online tools, kind of like Google Docs, and it's also the desktop versions. I'm subscribed to the service, meaning you're not buying it every year, but you're subscribed to it, and you get all That's the right. updates. I need, to, I, I need to get on that because I... I might as well just... It's actually pretty great because I get five licenses, so five computers that I can use it on, which means my Windows oh, VM... Oh, so use yours then. My Windows <laughs> VM has a legal copy, my Mac has a legal copy, and then, you know, my wife can use my copy. Okay. And then I can use your other copy. Well, because we're... <laughs> we're married. <laughs> yeah. So go go get your, your latest update. <laughs> Oops. The other thing I like about it is the install is a, is a little bit... Well, there's a... I won't go into it. We, lightning round! Oh, that's right. Try. Yeah, I'm gonna to to start uh, uh, buzzing you. Seven nanometer <laughs> chips. Did you hear about that? I'm gonna. I need a timer now, stopwatch, so I can buzz I you. IBM San, okay, seven go. nanometer chips are a thing now.
0: Okay. What so is previously,
1: that? the the smallest chip was is is 14 nanometers, and that's what Intel produces. And IBM has found a way to make a chip that's seven nanometers. And what's interesting is that's going to keep the Moore's law active. It's going to keep it going. Really. Yeah. I I don't believe in Moore's Law anymore. Well, it's it's
0: still being proven today. No, it's not. How is it not? Because we Moore's Law stopped happening like 5 years ago. That's why we had to go to multi-core.
1: Uh, we found a way to do it.
0: Lilo Dallas we cheated, multi-core.
1: We, we cheated, but we got it, we, we got there. But anyways, what's interesting <laughs> Did you about this?
0: Get my this, joke? No. Lilo Dallas multi-core. Oh, I come on. Get it. Oh, wow. Are you serious? Okay. Um fifth element. Oh, I'm not Dallas. a big fan of person. I don't. I don't. Oh, man, I've, I've seen that. I've seen and parts of that movie. You fancy yourself a movie nerd?
1: Come on. I don't fancy that's myself a, a movie nerd. That's a cult classic. I've I've seen that movie maybe parts of it once or twice. I've never sat through the whole thing. It's super annoying. I don't oh, like that
0: movie. Okay, I'm just going to pretend you
1: didn't say that. Anyways, it's interesting that years ago we were so focused on speed. Now we're focused on efficiency. So really, this is all. This isn't about making the fastest chip. This is about making the most power, power efficient.
0: Right. So. Which more did not address.
1: No. So. But it, do, it does mean that we're going to have smaller, smaller chips that can produce more energy, more energy efficient, which means our phones should continue to advance. Right. Uh, next on the lightning round, three, jQuery 3.0 Alpha. That's pretty interesting. There are actually two versions of jQuery. There's the jQuery 3 Alpha and there's a G, jQuery Compact. Compact? It's not compact not like smaller, okay. it's compat, which I'm, oh. I'm thinking is an abbreviation of compatible. Because this is actually an interesting approach, and I'm not sure if previous versions had this same concept, but basically jQuery 3.0 is compatible for IE 9 and up, and jQuery compat will give you IE 8 compatibility. So if, if you're dead stuck on supporting IE 8, you'll you'll want to use jQuery compat. Anything else, you'll want to use jQuery 3.4. No. okay. Which I think is better than trying to make sure that IE 8 or even... For, God forbid, five and six oh. and seven are, are compatible. So. Those. so, yeah, that's out there. I'll, you guys can go in and read all the different changes. Probably the most controversial change mm-hmm. about it is the way they're handling show and hides. Uh, they changed that. It actually it's pretty interesting the, what they wrote up about it because it's complex. Next topic <laughs> it's a lightning round, man. Tide kit shut down oh, Un- did? unceremoniously. That, like, I, in the most horrible, worst way, and I don't want to be time-boxing this because I want to rant. You have 55 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> I get an email from TideKit. I've been watching them follow them. I even registered and paid for my place in line, and they shut it down. They deleted Twitter accounts. They deleted their website. Twitter? Like, Twitter? Twitter?
0: That's what Brick uh, Perry calls it. Follow me on the Twitters. <laughs>
1: <laughs> they got rid of it. And they they had this lame explanation in the email about how... Competitors took their IP, or they couldn't iterate fast enough. They just kind of blamed everyone else but themselves. Well, so TideKit is a was a uh, mobile framework, like an HTML five. So it was a mobile framework. So if you're familiar with Titanium, um, it was a fork of the original Titanium that did support desktop development, but it was basically a JavaScript environment that would run on multiple platforms. Um, That was an open source. um, I forgot it was. I think it was called uh, Titanium SDK or something. I I forgot what they changed it to. Then they shortened it to Tide Kit, and then they decided to to wrap that into a startup. I'm not stopping. They decided to wrap that into a startup. They wrapped it up into a startup. Okay. Hey, I can escalate this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, continue. Now I'm scared. <laughs> uh, so. Uh, Eventually, typekit became this this self-contained company they were going to try to build a company out of it. They became a startup they were going to release this tool out. They had a lot of competition from other things, especially things like node and all those kind of things. They just could never catch up with those guys and they basically blamed everyone else for it and then they shut down and basically said, "I'm taking our ball and going home." They mm. disappeared. Good th- night. <clears throat> I know you talked about using them, but did you ever do a project with that? No because they didn't make Make it available. Most people that oh, were still kind of wow. using it were using the original open source version. Some of them had early access to um, the t- the new tooling they were built building, but they never officially started releasing. Basically, uh, filling the reservations. Yeah. Foo Fighters coming to Dreamforce, and
0: the, they're a repeat. Do you like Foo Fighters? I do like Foo Fighters. Like, what's the one of their? What's the big song they do? Uh,
1: I don't know it by name. I know it by song.
0: Um, they're a repeat, right?
1: they are I think they did once before maybe twice before I want to say twice before because I think they did once before then someone else was supposed to show up and they bailed and then Foo Fighters came in to cover for them so I think they've been there twice before I want to say I don't know if this will work is that Foo Fighters? yeah Oh, Foo Fighters. Yeah, they're, they're not bad. What's the? What's I've never gone to one of, the, one of those concerts, though, at Dreamforce. I've been five times, and I've never gone. Maybe we'll go this time. I don't know that I'd want to. I don't know. I'm really picky
0: about, and this is one thing. But I'll, we could be my, one of the
1: members in the crowd just holding our phones and not watching the concert. That's what everyone will be doing, John. <laughs> and we can go in our business suit. <laughs> I'm going to be the food, only one not can go doing to a business, that. We can go to a Foo Fighters concert in a business suit. <clears throat> exactly with my, and my not be code. out of place <laughs> exactly make sure you wear your cufflinks John your, your oh, fancy yeah, shirt <laughs> I can wear my cufflinks <laughs> oh that is awesome that's an awesome uh, idea yeah.
0: <laughs> you're gonna make everyone else look uh, dressed down
1: <laughs> <clears throat> um, so speaking of Dreamforce I came across this article on Lifehacker it has nothing to do with technology It all it is is a a brief article with a nice little chart that illustrates what you're gonna pay um, for your bags Across nine airlines, so it's gotten bad on some of them. It it has. So if you're going to Dreamforce, you might want to factor in your baggage costs. I know we're going to have to have some stuff shipped beforehand. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, so I'll put that in the show notes. It was just an article on Lifehacker: how much it costs to check bags on nine major U.S. airlines. Might be good to know. Uh, no limit. There are no limits. Jeremy. Is that what people tune in for? By the way, travel tips. <laughs> To the Good Days Podcast. <laughs> See, I'm a professional, and I correlated that with Dreamforce and providing useful information for those of us that will be traveling. We're we're very well rounded here. That's right.
0: All right. So, what's this? No- oh, I
1: saw this. So, Heroku Connect, yeah. which I've never used. Now with free <laughs> Salesforce API calls, that's actually a big deal. I think.
0: I think so too. I mean, if you're using this, you. You would hate to think that it's chewing up your API calls just because you've integrated your Salesforce product with your Salesforce product,
1: right? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I mean, there's not much more news than that. Just to say, I mean, the, it'll start taking effect. Actually, when does that take an effect? I saw that here and I had it memorized, and now I don't remember.
0: Can you set this up? Um, can you can you set up like a trial or like a sandbox Heroku Connect? Is that pretty easy or is that expensive? I mean, I'd love to try this out. I've just I've never.
1: Yeah, you you can get like developer accounts and things like that, and you should be able to set up a connect and, and use that. <clears throat> oh, July second. There we go. I,
0: I'm it's... still. I'm
1: curious about how.
0: Yeah, July second. I'm curious about how it works. So it's simply it, it's O data, right? There's an O connect. I believe so. Okay, and then also how it handles transactions.
1: Oh wait a minute. Well, connect. Um, I'm sorry. Connect is technically an O data, but. This is the API calls back to Salesforce. This isn't Salesforce making a call to your database and pulling information. That's a connect. That's a OData connection. Okay. Um, I, th- I think it probably is on the reverse side, but this is actually taking up API calls. So this this is outside of that.
0: I think I read this is only this only applied to Heroku Connect. It used to use it used
1: to consume your API calls right, and now right. it doesn't. Right. Right. Okay. righty. What I'm saying is this is it actually pushing data into your system not the virtual odata oh, oh, okay. connect, oh, connections okay. that, that's why it's getting confusing it's not connections where you you have your your virtual table in salesforce of your data that's off-site. and it's basically doing a real time call to get that information but it's not technically stored in salesforce right is that this is, doesn't Heroku connect not use that i guess it doesn't does it it can but this in particular can. is can. this is a connector for salesforce that lets you say okay i want to push this piece of information to an account in salesforce that can consume API calls, right? Because I guess it's using the SOAP API probably right. to push right. those in. Yeah. And now that's not going to be a concern, okay? Which is nice, and yeah. it it makes Heroku that much more valuable as an integration platform for Salesforce versus AWS or something else, because now that's a factor. If you're replicating, if you want to
0: somewhat real time, and this is still my question about how this is actually real time, and does it use like two phase commit? What's it doing to for transactionality across these systems? Um, in
1: terms, this to me, this is just a <clears throat> push of data it's like a data loader yeah
0: but what if it what if the push fails like does it roll back your transaction so that it doesn't it hadn't happened on either systems or do they just, oh, you're talking out of about just technical capabilities of the connector itself yeah, just yeah which how, I, don't,
1: I don't know i'm just wondering how could this possibly work the way that you would need it to work maybe it does maybe they really figured all that out it's just an endpoint to me of push this data and it, it makes it or it doesn't it's just that now it's not going to count against your api usage the whole makes it or it doesn't. That's kind of scary. <laughs> you still get your yeah, errors. Database. You get it's,
0: t- no. it's kind of what you have in Salesforce. It's a little different. You're making me
1: go in depth in a lightning <laughs> round, and I'm trying to be conscious of our time.
0: Uh, oh, we're still doing lightning. Well, we're definitely over then, so let's let's move along.
1: Uh, it's your idea of the week this my week. My idea of the week.
0: Okay, so this is this is actually a little bit of a discussion. I have to find it. Where's my idea?
1: Um. Cutting into your time, man.
0: I know. I don't even I don't know where my idea is. Maybe I didn't copy it. Let me go back to previous. Here it is. Don't you have it in the notes? Oh, is it in the notes? Yeah. Oh, I just found it anyway. Okay, this is so this comes uh from Andrew Fawcett. He's um he works for what's the accounting or I guess they're ERP now. Um, financial Force? Yes, Financial Force. I believe he's also the author of the Apex. His enterprise Apex patterns book. I think that's yeah. him, and a Salesforce MVP. <clears throat> I'm, I would bet he is because he um, he's quite uh, quite the blogger. So, and he also uh, does a bunch of stuff on GitHub. A lot of uh, good tools. Um, so, this is ability to update Salesforce metadata from Apex. And to me, this is controversial. I wanted to discuss this with you. So he's, you know, th- this is his description. The platform is becoming more complex and setup and config- configuration is growing. Uh, let me see if I can cut to the chase here. Um, you know, Creating tools to extend the setup menu is one of the use cases. Another use case is to allow ISVs to develop UIs or post-install scripts to update subscriber editable items like layouts and picklists. It would be good to have an API similar to the existing meta- metadata API but natively in, in Apex. So yeah. seems really useful, right? Right. Like that'd be great. Right? Or would it? <laughs> to me, this is a little little bit of hot drama here because we ha- now we even have a you have a self-modifying system. So and again, you know, me, I'm back to how do I version control this? How do I track it? How do I, you know, hmm. how do I manage my development lifecycle, my deployments? If my system is has has gone you know skynet and is modifying itself then i am that's happening completely outside of my development cycle i'm not tracking those changes and the next time i
1: do a deployment i will com- i'll set it back to a state that was bef- before these changes were made yeah so you're saying that because it's able to modify the metadata that you're you're further allowing people in production to, to completely modify the system The the system can modify version control. The system can modify itself, right? Right. And you can create a new page. They could, I guess, potentially (laughs) deploy a new trigger to the system. Yeah. Modify an Apex class. Yeah. I mean, it's. Which you still kind of technically can do. You can make an API push call. It doesn't matter if it came from Salesforce. An API push call? Yeah. I've done it before. C- calling the metadata API? Well, calling this SOAP API, just calling any API directly from Salesforce. The, the metadata API is a little bit
0: different because the reason you can't call from Apex, and I'm speculating, is because when anytime Apex is running, it's always within that I mean, a database a little physical database transaction starts, right? Mm-hmm. And within that transaction, if you've you've I want to say you can't modify database structures and things, but that's what you
1: would be doing within a transaction. It's almost like how you... No. Well, you're, you're talking about native support of Apex, and what, what I was saying is you can kind of technically do it by making just a simple soap message API call-out. You can. And in fact, Andrew Fawcett has,
0: um, on his GitHub account, or maybe it's the financial force, he's got a whole Apex library that you can use right. that just makes, that simplifies that for you. Right. allows you to do that. And the, but the, the thing is, is those changes you make, they don't show up within that Apex transaction that you made them on.
1: No, no, they won't.
0: Right. And they should they shouldn't, right? Because you're in you're inside a transaction, and and you know transactions. And I don't I don't know exactly where Salesforce transactions stand on the whole asset scale.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, if if um if changes are visible or you know read consistent, all those sorts of things. But they're pr- but I think they are read consistent. So you probably you probably would not see changes made. F- out from outside your transaction, right? It, when you start a new transaction, you'll you'd see those. But that's actually the, I think one of the challenges. It, it reminds me of the you know Salesforce has a real problem with if you modify setup objects and non setup objects in the same transaction. Yeah, when when you're doing testing. Oh, even production in production yeah. code cannot you cannot oh, within one right. transaction right. you know, you can't create a user and save an account at the same time in the same transaction. Right, and I think the reason is because when the transaction starts, Salesforce has all this data about the security context. And if you do any, if you modify any non or any setup object, it would change that security context. And that's just probably too complex. Like they, when you start a transaction, the security context is set. You can't do anything within that to to change that. Right. And if you do, then you can't change any non-setup data because it would, you could have just hosed up your, your, your security context. I mean, it's a, so I understand why they have that limitation. It's, it's it's a huge pain. Did I just get clicked? What'd I do? I want the ability to contest this, so you better tell me what I just did.
1: <laughs> I clicked it just to click it. Oh, no, I, th- I thought I heard a lip smack. Well, you probably did. <laughs> I didn't want to ruin your train of thought, though.
0: But I was feeling kind of jealous. So no, I, but this, you know, back to the idea. Updating metadata from Apex. It's kind of cool. He's, and he... He those use cases he provided were really good. So like an ISV, when you install an app, for it to be able to like add stuff to pick lists, or that that would be useful. Although that that's challenging too. That creates potential problems.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I can understand where that's going, and I, I kind of would like that too. I mean, I here's one scenario where I would love to be able to to do this is maybe I have a UI where I want to con- configure something, and I want the user to be able to create some automation for it. Maybe I have some solution where whenever you, it's a rule engine or something, it says, you know, whenever user changes this, this, and this, then I want this to happen. But there's no predefined trigger in that. I'm, I, and I'm coming from the perspective of an ISV. What if, what if whenever they create that, I can, they can click a button and it goes out and creates the trigger? Right. Because all that trigger has to do is call my, my function. Mm-hmm. And within that, all the actual logic happens. The trigger is just a, an event. Um so that's one scenario where I've i wished I had that. Yeah, exactly.
0: That's a really good use case too.
1: So it's it's interesting. I just think it's it's man, it's uh, right. got to be that really careful. that triggers now not in version control. Um, it's and, it's affecting things automatically at that point in time.
0: And in my scenario um obviously you don't have to you wouldn't have to use this, right? I mean if you don't want to, if you don't want your system to add a trigger that way, then don't have it add a trigger that way. <laughs>
1: Right. <laughs> it's really more for dynamic things. Like But uh, if you're talking the context of ISV you have you have no control over that as a admin, I know. I this mean was, you could say we're we're not going to do this in our org and then and then you know a month down the line you're like, "Oh, this cool app will do XYZ for me." And you get it and you start clicking buttons and you realize, "Oh, it's creating a bunch of triggers in the back end." Yeah. And then I mean even if you do, if you can create
0: metadata with API, does that that's in production,
1: Is that right? within your namespace too? I, that's a good question. Like if you're an ISV and you have namespace Jeremy. I think I think it would be
0: unnamed, unpackaged, unnamespaced, but I'm not sure. That's a good, I mean, that's, those are all the kinds of problems they would have to figure yeah. out. So, interesting idea, incredibly challenging. This has um, 2,800 points. What does that mean? 20 people have voted for it? Uh, yeah.
1: Uh, no, it's um, it's 10 points per vote.
0: Oh, so that means 280. What did I say? 2,800? It's actually 280.10 because I just
1: upvoted it. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> hey, we got to promote the ideas we're promoting. Yes. Can't just talk about it. We have to go and click the upvote.
0: Yep. Uh, okay. You can't do this with Salesforce. Not yet. Not yet? Not yet. Mark, when are we going to be able to do that, man? I really would love to create metadata via Apex. I have no idea. It's gonna get old. <laughs> <laughs> so funny though. Um.
1: Okay. Next, Captain America Shield. Oh, Salesforce Shield. Do I, I don't even know that song. Do I know that song? Captain America Shield. John,
0: I don't know if you know that song. How would I know if you know that song? I thought I knew <laughs> all the lyrics, but you know, so this is weird. So I guess Salesforce is rolling out a new set of services that it's a cloud, man. It's it's the security it's the cloud. Salesforce the shield security cloud. cloud, the shield. <laughs> the cloud of shields. It offers security and compliance tools to customers in regulated industries. Uh, so it's available now. Yeah. That's uh that's interesting. Usually it's like oh it's
1: coming soon and it's you know a year later. Yeah. <laughs> Get it. This is one I saw a while back, maybe a couple of weeks to a month ago, but I hadn't done enough research to to really be able to talk about it yet i hadn't i hadn't heard of this um so you know it has archiving monitoring
0: encryption and auditing for apps built on the salesforce one platform (laughs) so okay here's my question arguably you can already archive monitor encrypt and audit your salesforce one platform what is new about this Uh, let me keep reading Salesforce says the drag-and-drop tools relieve a common burden for enterprise IT departments, which is complying with internal governance policies and industry regulations in a cloud app environment that's rapidly innovating. Okay, here's a, here's oh, this is a, a Conga guy. As businesses and regulated industry, okay, this is a bunch of crap, hang on. Salesforce Shields, Salesforce Shield lets customers manage their data across apps in a Salesforce ecosystem without having to build or buy additional point solutions for each app. Why can I not get anyone to say something of substance? What is the deal with this?
1: What, what kind of substance this?
0: are you looking for? What is this? And how is this? Everything they've just said is already it's a in sales tools.
1: I, it, I, I, haven't, I haven't read enough to know, but I, I'm gathering it's a set of tools that takes all these things, like you said, it's available. You can do that with third party companies, but this is a set of tools to kind of do it all in one spot.
0: Pricing is on an individual, pricing for these services, which no one knows anything about, are on an individual basis. And Salesforce says it will charge customers a percentage of their total Salesforce spend in order to access it. That reminds me of Sandbox. Mm, Yeah. Um, The various components of Salesforce Shield can be purchased together or individually. So, yeah, I mean, I guess if you're in medical or you're dealing with HIPAA, right, or you you do government work that requires some kind of, you know, maybe look into this. And if you figure out what the hell it is, let us know. (laughs) I'll have to
1: do some more research on it.
0: That's uh, homework for you. Action item for
1: John. I, I know this was something that <laughs> when I was in a big enterprise that we we needed to look into. We did have certain compliance things we had to, to do, but more often than not, because it wasn't a tool that was easily available and there wasn't a easy way to recover, which now there's more companies trying to do that now. But even just, just the simple fact of backing up and being able to recover wasn't something that we, we could easily do. So maybe this offers that. Yeah. Success. Okay. We Just. promoted an idea. You can't see my finger up yeah, in the yeah. air. <laughs> Success. We promoted an idea and it got instantly fixed.
0: Awesome. Is that's that is the power that the Good Day <laughs> Sir podcast wields. Actually, I think they were working on this already,
1: but we'll take nope. credit. Anyways. No, no. <laughs> yeah. So what when, was it? Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I forgot which episode this was but we did a idea of the week and it was uh kyle thornton's fixed developer documentation it's so unusable oh so that it's usable oh and they were com- he was com- kind of talking about the different the new changes to the layout some of it was good some of it was bad especially mm. kind of that sidebar ability to expand and all that well is this and this was
0: the was he referring to the documentation part of it, it was, or
1: yeah it was the documentation it was the whole site it was just kind of the layout of everything and that has They've made some updates to it recently. So now that sidebar that used to be kind of really small will expand and keep expanding. So you'll have a much larger um, table of contents, I think is Um, what it's called. Okay. I can not see that's a little different. Um, They changed some of the iconography. They kind of changed some things up and moved some things around. Um, But hopefully the changes they made will make it that much more easier. I'm still a PDF guy. Now the PDF is much more clearly defined that you can download that. That's Whereas true. before I thought they got rid of it. And mm. it was like a small little entry point in like in the sidebar to download the PDF. Now it's much more prevalent at the top, which is nice. The online docs are also useful for, uh, useful for if you just want to Google
0: like all of the documentation against all the documentation. Yeah. Uh,
1: and- I do that a lot. I mean I I go to Google. I, I at one point I had aspirations of developing like a, a dash index of the help but uh, that someone someone did someone did do that um, I don't know if it's updated or not but. I'm not sure if it is either but that was my big problem was like well how do I keep this updated I don't control these documents it, this really needs to be like Salesforce but and also to do maybe it maybe that's an idea for Salesforce
0: is to create some dash documentation that would be interesting um, it would take and even the guy that tried to do it I mean it, it takes a lot of work to do it right
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, if you actually want classes and methods and all those things right. documented properly. It's the, the right metadata has to be in the documentation that it can key on. And I, I don't think it was there, but yeah. Salesforce, I mean, obviously has a really good documentation system. They, they, I'm sure they cr- generate this documentation in some kind of um, source format. And then they probably have a, probably have a publishing system that, you know, creates the web version of it, generates PDFs and all this other stuff. Right. Yeah. Um, I would hope so. Yeah, I'm sure they do. I mean, they've, They've definitely got their documentation game down. Of course, down. they are
1: up to 16,000 employees now, so it's just... Maybe yeah, there's, I think they could peel off 100 of those to do yeah, documentation, to, right? 100 to do documentation. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we take credit for that. Uh oh, the next hey. one's yours. Are we in order here? Oh, yeah.
0: the okay, the Cortana Analytics? No, Engineering Cloud, is that you? Oh, yeah, we, we that have a new there. cloud. <laughs> it's the Engineering Cloud. <laughs> I didn't put that on there. No, I I think that was me. Um, let's see where are my notes for this. Uh, engineering cloud.
1: This so is a new cool. Salesforce cloud. Or this is a no, new, cl- new no. technology cloud. So it's it's the company called Rescale,
0: and it's for engineering jobs. So imagine like designing an airplane because these the guys that started I think were from Boeing, and so they would. I guess there are probably like cat, you know, CAD and these solid design systems that run incredibly complex long-running processes. Imagine like imagine something maybe similar, like when Pixar goes to render a 15-minute mm-hmm. scene or something. That could just take yeah. insane amounts of compute power, right? So engineering jobs are very similar. Um it says our goal is to harness and manage resources on private and public clouds as well as national supercomputer centers and tune them. Uh, to perform those specific types of compute intensive jobs, um, I think a lot of it also there's it's like specifically like GPU cut clusters mm-hmm. for certain types of again like super math intensive jobs they run those on GPUs because you get so much more power out of it. But uh, so yeah, are
1: they talking about creating a specific cloud that's specific to this type of yeah, calculations? It's, it's or are they talking about going out and creating a network and you saying, "Hey, I'll"? I'll give you some of my CPU time. So I think they I think they handle the
0: the actual hardware. So they're exposing to you a set of services like maybe infrastructure, some kind of infrastructure or platform as a service that is designed for engineering jobs.
1: Okay.
0: So you can just fire off a job to their to their cloud. And it's uh yeah, designed okay. for them. So
1: that makes sense. Yeah.
0: It's always good to know when there's a new
1: cloud. I still want to understand this engineering thing. So when they say engineering, just anything that, that requires large scale computing.
0: Yeah. So say let's say you're building a jet and you want to do like a you're doing a, a wind flow analysis or something. Or you uh, or you've run a test okay. flight and you've gathered, you know, billions of data points on how wind flows over an airfoil. Right. Now you want to do some run some job on those or something.
1: Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, that would be CPU intensive. All right. So now we're Fans on, might kick now on, we're on my Cortana Analytics. To do that. Well
0: that's yeah. <laughs> Just a little. <laughs> laptop would burn up on your lap. So cart- so Microsoft has this uh, Cortana analytics. Yeah. Right, which is I guess is new. And now they've had Power BI for a little while. Yeah, this is different though. This is This is different. They're they are doubling down on you, you remember how we talked about with with analytics? There seem to be these two camps. There's the democratize it, right? Make it incredibly easy for anyone to Consume,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and I think that's the camp that like Tableau and probably Salesforce Analytics are in. And then you've got the you know Watson, and maybe I'm not I wasn't clear if Microsoft is in this, but apparently that's part of I think what they're. I think Power BI is part of. I think is is in that area, right? Yeah. And and what they're doing is it's not just data visualization; it's doing all kinds of crazy statistical analyses to figure out things, to run hypotheses Mm -hmm. and, you know, and tests and all all that kind of stuff.
1: Um, So the Power BI would be your visualization. That would be your your Wave version of it. So the... Maybe so. The Cortana Analytics itself is is an engine that will go through and... uh, They have some pre-configured solutions. So they have some... Things to defi- some algorithms and other things already defined that can analyze some big data and and draw some conclusions and present that to you, um, and then you'll have the ability to kind of create your own kind of calculations, metrics, how, whatever you call that. Um, some of the interesting ones that 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 I saw was the machine learning ones, and that was like face, vision, speech, text analytics. I mean, that's some big deal stuff. It is, and that that's why I'm
0: kind of confused about this because part of it is is all this crazy science. The other part of this is. And I thought that's why they called it Cortana analytics was to make it super easy to use. And I I think um, it's got a voice interface so you can just say, hey, should I, which customers do I need to go see this week? And it just, it's, it will just instantly data mine all this stuff and figure out which customers might be at highest risk of not renewing or, or that have the best probability of closing based on all kinds of crazy amounts of data. Right. But the fact that you can just ask it literally just voice ask, um, isn't that not is that not why they called it Cortana? Because it's that just human interface. Oh, to I know it?
1: the the digital assistant is one of the things on it, so I think that is a capability of the of the cloud itself. Is the is that ability? So here's a quote: "With a
0: Cortana interface, a yeah. manager wouldn't even need to formulate a query to answer a question, but rather just
1: ask the system to do the work. Yeah. You just ask it." Um. which is interesting. I mean, the the whole. I think these digital assistants, you have Siri, Cortana, um, what's Google's? Hey, Google. <laughs> Google Play. Google Now? Google Now? Google now? Or is that something different? I don't know. Uh, the, I don't know what they call it. You know, they haven't they haven't really effectively branded that. The only thing I, guess, I know is the commercials where they go, get, "Hey Google." Since we can't think of the name, I guess, I guess they. Have they haven't <laughs> they haven't effectively. Facebook now is is talking about building a a digital assistant. And Facebook is doing all kinds of. I mean, they've got just so many smart people working there. I wanted to hypothesize. Do you think Salesforce should do a digital assistant? I think they have to. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the next thing, right? You have we have we have they have Chatter so. Is the next evolution a digital assistant for Salesforce? It seems to be becoming table stakes, especially if 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 Microsoft's
0: Analytics is going to be doing that. I mean, yeah, that's hard though. That is hard. Um, here Here's this is in a, in a health system, but they're using these technologies to devise superior treatment plans based on both an individual patient's history as well as data from many large-scale medical studies relevant to the patient's condition. So, doctor could just say. You know, we have this. We have a couple of options here. Do we treat this surgically or with some kind of chemotherapy or something? And the and it just runs this data based on the patient situation and all kinds of data, right? Historical data from studies, and just comes back with an answer. You should. And here's the maybe we'll even tell you like the confidence intervals and where it lies. That's that's pretty interesting. It's saving lives. We're on our way to creating Baymax. <laughs> Beta. No Why Baymax. What
1: Baymax? What's that? Big Hero Six. I don't know what that is. Oh my god! Yeah, it, kids, they haven't they haven't they haven't watched Big Hero Six. I don't even know what that is. I guess not. It's a an Disney animated film with the the big balloon looking robot. Well, you haven't even seen Fifth Elements. So I I
0: don't
1: want to hear your I don't want to hear you <laughs> sh- movie shame me. <laughs> <laughs> well, in the movie, Baymax was a, is a health a digital assistant. Basically, he's a robot that does nothing but healthcare. But I don't know. I won't go into the movie. But still, yeah. For those who know what Baymax is you'll understand my comment. I thought you were saying Betamax. No, Baymax. Okay, gotcha. Actually, that's funny because I thought that's what they were saying too. So,
0: yeah, there's some other interesting quotes. Uh, Microsoft, I think this is talking more about Power BI in general, but, mm-hmm. you know, they're not even talking about these, like, good data, and Tableau, and Salesforce Wave all claim to make it super easy to take huge stores of data and visualize them, but none of them have Power BI's ease of use. They say you can be running in five minutes and where IBM and Salesforce target analysts, Power BI targets normal business users. They say it's years ahead of IBM Watson and Salesforce Wave. Years. I'm
1: I'm not sure I agree with that statement. I mean, Salesforce makes Wave pretty easy for users. In fact, that, that almost would be a con because if you wanted more advanced features you're going to have to move to something
0: well so what do they call that license that would in order to actually create data sets and lenses and these things what is that called the builder license yeah, I right think it's the builder i think they're talking to to be a builder like that's kind of an analyst thing mm-hmm. um, whereas power bi you don't you don't need that i don't know
1: it power bi is still the visualization tool i mean there's
0: these are just um baseless claims
1: what what What's probably going to set Cortana apart is is the analytics portion, the the prebuilt stuff, the the high end data stores, and all those kind of stuff. The visualizations, I think, is is just a tack on of what they currently have, which is the Power BI. Um, do you remember these guys?
0: That uh, it was it was they won the the Dreamforce one million dollar hackathon prize, and it then it turned into this huge controversy because. Was that the one where some of them we used to work at Salesforce and and do you remember this? The controversy? And Salesforce had to do a big study or I guess it's, you know, an investigation into whether they were it was legitimate or not. And then and then Salesforce ended up having to award another winner a million dollars as well.
1: Yeah. I don't remember <laughs> man, that that was such a big controversy, and now I can barely remember any of the details. But so
0: the company that won, they were called Upshot. Okay. I don't even know if it was a company or not that. But anyway, they just got bought by workday. Oh really? Yeah.
1: Um, I guess Workday wants their And they built a company around what they what they uh won on the hackathon?
0: Yeah. So Workday is acquired Upshot, a startup that developed a mobile app that allows users to make natural language voice queries on oh, data right. in CRM tools. But that's interesting. So why is Workday buying something that's for CRM tools? Uh, the upshot acquisition well,
1: has a the, the the voice part of it is what made that attractive. And, you know, we, we, we just said it, the digital assistant thing is is becoming a thing. Yeah. And th- this article is saying this is mainly an, an aqua hire. Yeah. But I mean, if, if, you want, if you want to start building that type of thing into your tools, you know, get people to know how to build that. Thing. Yeah. So it can, it can come in handy for workdays applications,
0: including the ability to predict retention risk based on what people say about their skills, roles, and job titles. Hmm. Um, I can see how the, that skill set would transfer. Before this acquisition, Upshot had no customers and had never generated
1: revenue. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's surprising. Yeah. Maybe they didn't market well because who who wouldn't want to be able to just start up your phone, say, you know, hey Siri, what what's going on in my Salesforce? This is you why know? I always caution people, oh, be, be careful with demos. Be careful did, when you see a demo, did right? You, did you just see what happened? No. What'd you do?
0: Oh, is it is it listening to you? Hey Siri.
1: Hold on. <laughs> I don't know if that came through on the podcast, but because my phone is set up to listen to me, when I said hey Siri, it it woke up and uh <laughs> it tried to search for what happened in Salesforce today. That was a mouthful. Yeah. That was funny. But uh, who wouldn't want that? Who wouldn't want to be able to just sit here and, and, and say that? So I'm surprised that they, they haven't gotten more traction. I'm kind of I'm
0: kind of jumping here because we're running out of time, but I want to get to this how to destroy programmer productivity. Can I? Is that okay? Um, yeah, then we'll cover my playlist. Okay. All right, this is no. I'll, I'll put this in the show notes, or John will put this in the show notes. Rather, <laughs> I don't do anything. Uh, it's it's uh, it's from last year. It's not even new, but I I'm not sure I'd ever seen this. It's really cool. It's about it's called how to destroy pro uh, programmer productivity, and it's got some graphs that show how anytime a programmer gets interrupted, how it how long it it? Their interruption is not just for the time of that interruption. It takes. It can take a while to get back into your zone, your concentration zone, your productivity yeah. zone. Um that's why gets, I try not to take calls, man. That's it's a huge problem. That's why I have like almost all notifications turned off. I don't get email notifications. I have my Slack finely tuned so that I only get certain notifications.
1: Yeah, I set up the keywords and all that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah. Um, but he says, "I, uh, you know, I haven't figured this. I haven't figured out the secret to being productive yet. largely because I've never been consistently productive ever." And then he quotes Joel Spolsky, um, who says, "Sometimes, sometimes I can't get anything done. Sure, I come into the office, putter around, check my email every ten seconds, read the web, even do a few brainless tasks like paying the American Express bill. But getting back into the flow of writing code just doesn't happen." These bouts of unproductiveness usually last for a day or two, but there have been times in my career as a developer when I went for weeks at a time without being able to get anything done. As they say, I'm not in the flow. I'm not in the zone. I'm not anywhere.
1: Yeah, it's um, so good to hear stories like that. It really is
0: because it's a it is really a thing. Yeah, it it absolutely is. And also, what's the v, what's the Y Combinator guy? Uh, Paul Graham has an article called "Makers." Uh, managers versus makers time. I think that's what it's, we can link that up too. remind me. Um, and it's about how a manager schedule works such differently than someone who I guess make, I guess he's talking about software developers, makers. Mm-hmm. I think that's what the article was called. It's very similar though. And it's just about how, you know, meetings are just so unproductive. Um, but it's it's, it's, it's a tangential topic to this, but you know, this guy says, he says, says the same thing. I'm glad I'm not alone here. Um, I'm not, I'm not here to share any secret methods to being productive, but I can tell you what has kept me from being productive. And he's got this nice list. It's interesting. So, open floor plans.
1: I would agree with that. Um I am so distracted by people walking by. Um Well, that was uh, the big thing was to have an open floor plan to have a more casual environment to to kind of get everyone out of these queue farms. Uh, I know. And 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 also the agile
0: Software development revolution really ushered that in, yeah. Because that's all about everyone sitting around a table and working together, right? But but uh, Spolsky, speaking of Spolsky, is with his Fog Creek and and Stack in the Stack Exchange company now. They're famous for every developer gets an office,
1: and and, and they
0: have plenty of they do have plenty of shared space. Mm -hmm. But when you need
1: to get work done and put your head down and not and be concentrate, you need to go in and have a door you can shut. Yeah, and that for me, I think is the the kind of the hybrid the. Uh, the hybrid approach of that, which is that you have a lot of shared space, a lot of places for people to go to work together, but th- they absolutely have to have a place where they can go and concentrate. So I'm, I'm going to hit some. I'm guarantee I'm going to I'm going to hit some other
0: nerves here with you because uh, these definitely resonated with me. Um, developers arguing about Django versus .NET. Uh, developers arguing in general. Uh, a coworker coming up to me and asking, "Hey, did you get that email I sent?" <laughs> um, not understanding the problem I'm working on. Yeah. Uh, not, un- not really believing in the project. Uh, not understanding where to start. Oh, that's big. And this is why people, you know, I guess project managers or anyone, you know, people need to understand the vision of the project and why it makes sense and what the rationale is, right? Because it, if not, it is kind of distracting. I'm facing more than one task that needs to be completed because things are on fire right now, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, and, and then also things being on fire right now, drop everything. Twitter notifications, email pops up, pop ups, really any pop ups, IMs. Uh, my wife asking, hey, when you have a minute, could you do blah, blah, blah? Um, long build times. Where's my bell? <laughs> Where is my bell? I need a bell. <laughs> long build times. Yeah. Talk about distracting, taking you out of the flow.
1: That, that one, especially for, for us doing Salesforce, that's a big issue. The, the Apex well, and visual even, force, force compiling, has, so slow. Maven has little games that you can play. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that, that just speaks to... Yeah. So what uh, else do you need to know? Yeah.
0: <laughs> Those are... Um, Hacker News. I don't... I try not to read Hacker News that much. Uh, the internet in general. Things that have contributed to me, to making me product pr- uh, productive in the past. Qu- a quiet atmosphere. A quiet workspace. Understanding the next step I need to take in the project I'm working on. And that's huge. Sometimes you just don't know the next step and you don't know how to really figure out like what the next step is. And so you just, you're caught in this weird mushy limbo of like, Egh. yeah, you know, let me, let me check Twitter. <laughs> you know, I, I try to actually walk away and get away from my computer when yeah. that happens. Yeah. Especially if you're on a, if you're kind of solo on this, if you're on a part of the project where you're solo or you just are just like, you're the only one working on this thing yeah and you don't have anyone to talk to.
1: Right. That's when you bug me.
0: Yeah. That's what, that is when I bug you. That's what you're for. <laughs> <laughs> Um, seriously, no interruptions. He's like, you know, that's up. when
1: you interrupt my workflow because for your workflow, um,
0: loving the project I'm working on. That's when productive short build times and debug times, and not debating politics. <laughs> yeah. Oh, now we're into. Pro- but anyway, I mean, to he, what makes you productive? Yeah, what makes you productive? Okay. But uh, yeah, I will put this in the show notes. This is it's really cool to understand these types of things because people don't realize um, how much they might be doing things that are interrupting people's flow and you really Mm -hmm. should think you should really should stop and think before you send an email. Do I really need to send this as an email? Can this wait till the next time I talk to this person? Do I really need to send this? IM? I mean, sometimes you have to, it's business, right? But just be judicious and understand, you know, it's very, it takes me 10 seconds to send an email to someone that can create an hour of work for them. Sometimes
1: an email takes an hour to respond to that. Thank you. You just made my, you just proved my point, right? Yeah. I mean, a simple question turns into well, but it could
0: have taken them ten seconds to send you that email, and maybe they don't realize that they just created an hour of work for you. Yeah, and if they realize that, especially if they're paying you for that hour of work, maybe they wouldn't have sent that email,
1: right? It's yeah. Just, I mean, that's we, that's the hard part about it. Is I mean, yeah, you sent me an email. And it took me an hour to do. I, 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 well, what did you want me to do? Yeah, exactly. And it's just you know, just be mindful of these things. It's, all right. All right. So last thing. <clears throat> And I bring this up because I've been getting a lot of questions from clients and I thought, well, maybe it's something we should talk about. And that's the Salesforce deprecating TLS 1.0 support. And that's going to happen in January 2016, I think. So there's well, still time. Why do I feel like this already happened a long time they, ago? Because they they deprecated SSL 3.0. Oh, okay. And so we've kind of already gone through this. Right. This one's a little bit different because I think when they deprecated SSL 3.0, we were further far along enough that most things were on TLS 1. Right. Um. Now we're kind of closer, I mean, because there's there's only what, it's TLS 1 and TLS 1.2 now is the current. So okay. we're kind of on a shorter runway here between versions and, and software technology. Um, for me, the impact and the one I'll talk about is the .NET impact. So I have a lot of integrations that I've written in .NET and my customers have them and they're all emailing me going, hey, is this something I need to worry about? So I have to go in and go look at the code and see what version I targeted. Now, what I've been able to collect is that as long as you're on version 4.5 targeting uh the net framework 4.5 one of the default parameters of tls to use is uh 2.1.2 so what it does is it scales it negotiates with the the server and says okay what here what's the highest version you support and it'll try to use that one as a part of that right ssl handshake right. and this is all whenever you're whenever you consume the soap api and you have net generate the proxy classes for you it's using all these these um mecha- these classes so it's using the web request class and that has its own chain of Dependencies and subclasses and inheritance and all that kind of stuff. But when you dig down into it, you'll find eventually that it is using TLS 1.2. Okay. Now, uh, the complexity comes in, what if you're targeting .NET 4? Um, You should be okay as long as your server that's running that has uh, framework 4.5 installed. And that's because when 4.5 came out, it was completely backwards compatible with 4.0. And they basically just overwrote those system files. So those files where were the web proxy classes and all that kind of stuff gets handled got overwritten. So you're using 4.5, which means it should handle the 1.2. So as long as you're using targeting 4.5 or your server at least has 4.5 and up, you should, you should be fine. Interesting. Now, Java, I have no clue. <laughs> So Salesforce is
0: going to drop support for TLS. That means they will not accept a TLS 1.0 connection, Request, right? right? At some yeah. point, um, which means that if you, you know, have an integration with Harvest or any other number of things, your own integrations, like right. these, all the all these systems could be potentially mm-hmm. um, TLS 1.0, like only, right? And
1: well, yeah, because a lot of them with. You know, one point two wasn't out yet, so a lot of these older technologies were. Their highest was one point one that they supported. Yeah, and I just 1. Liked, 1.0. I mean, at
0: one point I was is not that old. It was it was defined yeah. less than ten years ago. So, right. and after you know how these standards work, I mean, you once once they're approved, it takes years for them to actually get implemented into into systems. Yeah, and for systems to ship with them, so it's it's probably been in production for I don't know seven or eight years. Not not that long. Yeah. I mean, I know in the terms of the internet, that's a lifetime,
1: 4.0 or 4.5 is what? Two years old now? Maybe. I think, I, I I bet you I still have .NET 1.1
0: integrations running. I think I do.
1: You might. <laughs> not for long, Well, apparently. no, not if they're 1.1, because I think that might still have been necessary. No, that might have been 2.0 or yeah. 1.0. Man, these version numbers. That was, well, that was what, 2005, 2006, .NET yeah. 1.1, so. Well, they haven't called yet, so they probably just said, "Ah, hey, it's broken. Yeah. Trash it. Start over anyways, just some helpful tips. I'll have some links to the show notes if you're curious about digging into that um, authentication protocol and how it determines the default, but at least for .NET. Cool. Cool. And to that, I say, good day, sir.
0: You lose. You get nothing. Good day, sir.
1: Any monkey with with a set of lipstick on their pig
0: lips can write it for Forbes.
1: So much for the journalistic integrity.
0: He has no idea how bad it is out there. He has no idea. He has no idea. I have no idea. (laughs) Thank you.